electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi there, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. We're talking JetBlue's hostile bid for Spirit Airlines and Jeff Bezos's pointed tweets at Biden. The president's theory of the case when it comes to economics is probably never going to be wildly popular with billionaires for the simple reason that he is calling on them to pay their fair share. Intel's shareholders are speaking up about salaries in the C-suite and appetite for air travel is back on the rise. We were always moaning and groaning yesterday, Andrew, to you guys, the commercial breaks about airfares. Yep. But people are paying them. Those stories, plus the other corporate drama this week and most weeks, Elon Musk's bid for Twitter making news again. It's like a drama. It's like a great book. It's Tuesday, May 17th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, you buy in three, two, one, kill please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Brian Sullivan. Joe is off again today. Another drama, another drama. Elon Musk said that his $44 billion purchase of Twitter will not move ahead until he has more clarity on how many fake accounts are out there. He responded to a post earlier this morning that said, quote, Musk may be looking for a better deal as $44 billion seems too high with 20% of users being fake or spam accounts. Musk wrote in response, 20% fake spam accounts while four times what Twitter claims could be much higher. My offer was based on Twitter's SEC filing being accurate. Yesterday, Twitter CEO publicly refused to show proof of less than 5%. This deal cannot move forward until he does. Spokesman for Twitter did not immediately respond to a CNBC request for comment. So So the negotiation is taking place on Twitter. (laughs) The whole thing is taking place on Twitter. And the question, I mean, look, I just don't know whether you think that that Twitter has been running a fraud. You basically either have to decide that Twitter has been running a fraud for possibly a decade or longer or that Elon Musk well, it's not, it's not trying, a fraud. It's not no, their it, fault that oh, these no, no, bots no. sign up. No, no, no. But they file SEC filings saying that they have less than 5% of their users. The SEC users. filings also say they could be wrong, that the numbers could be higher. But the other piece of it, and the reason why, why I would argue to you it is a fraud, if in fact this is the case, is you have advertisers who are clearly buying against the audience. That's what they do. Yeah. And, and Elon Musk made the point yesterday that effectively when you think about who the, who the advertiser is. These are brand advertisements. These are not typically click-through, uh, buy-the-product, sort of DTC, direct-to-consumer uh, advertising. So you're trying to create an image. It's an image campaign. If the people uh, that you're, quote-unquote, advertising your image to don't exist, that's a problem. But does anybody think And so the question is, is that, it's either, it's either that, in which case, by the way, if we think the SEC should go after Elon Musk for what he's doing, you'd want the, you want the SEC to go after uh, them and maybe the FTC too. Or 
this is part of some grand, terrible, and maybe even evil negotiation. Which is it? Well, I think also what is a bot, right? What is a fake account? What I mean by that is what if it's somebody that was real, is a real human being, all of you out there, hi, thanks for tuning in, but just gave up on it. But they never deleted their account, and it just kind of sits there. Or maybe well, they log in. What if it's somebody in, who has twelve or maybe they log or in once a, once a year. If that's when not he what we're came talking out about. with that five percent number, I thought, well, that's incredibly low. And I'm not. This is just my opinion here. But it's not you, his number; it's their it's number. The I mean, it's, it's the Twitter, Twitter number. number. I, I get that. Yeah. But people have asked me in the past about Twitter because most people in America are not on Twitter. It's kind of a media thing. I yeah, would if, say that I, my personal me, I would take think it was more than five percent. I would say forty. Uh, I don't know if it's 40%. You can run, they used to have this thing called Twitter audit, and you could run right, that. Right, you could you see, see who was like your real follower. 60% right. were you know, inactive or whatever. I mean, huge numbers. In any event, here he is, and the question is, does he drop the deal? Does he recut well, the, the deal? Well, market, the market says what do you yes. Think Twitter fell 8% well, yesterday. It's, it's down not, 3% in the pre-market right they're, now. Well, they're saying he's dropping the deal at the, at the former price. The question is, does he take he the pretty, deal at a much lower price? And I think he'd be very happy to take it at a lower price. Maybe. We'll see. Could you ever see, Andrew, Google being interested in a Twitter? I know there's antitrust issues. I'm just I throwing think that the out there as a, hypo- are too much. as a hypothetical. The issue. Because their Google Plus failed. I think the, They've the, never succeeded right, in social. I think the, the answer is no. But the other issue is the prices. At the premium that Elon was offering before was, was, made no sense to any rational economic buyer. So, yes, if the price were to come down to some you know, irrationally low level or even rational level, then I think you might find should we do lots a, of buyers. Should we do a Twitter poll? Should we say, would you charge? Would you pay, Becky? You're going to ask the bots? <laughs> <laughs> the bots will say no. Yeah. They won't pay. <clears throat> would you pay for Twitter? I pay I for Twitter know. already. I, oh, do you? Yeah, I'm on the blue. The blue thing. What the was that called? Like $2 a month? Three bucks a month, I think. Two ninety nine a month. Would you pay $50 a year for Twitter? A hundred? If it was, if it was clean, the service. no me? anonymity, no anonymity. Oh, no. well, that, that's, but he's not providing that, by the way. He, does, he just not even offering that. That's oh, no. Not, you know that, what I'm doing right now? It's 6.10 in the morning. Yeah, no, I know. Stirring but, the pot. But, but Elon is, Musk isn't trying to do that. Elon Musk, if he's going to charge, I think he would charge. He probably he might charge NBC Universal or CNBC. Maybe he would charge people, quote unquote, personalities. I don't know. But I don't think his plan is to charge more broadly than that. I I mean, he's he's made service. that pretty clear. So. Do like a cameo. You could get like a private 10 minutes with Andrew Ross. You know, I don't know. There's ideas. I think maybe he's got some ideas. I think you need to start an OnlyFans, my friend. <laughs> Keep your clothes on. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> no, I mean, that's a negative value right there in my case. <laughs> we got a whale. It's washed up on shore in Seaside Heights. Could be a good day for the overall stock market. Dow futures up nearly 500. United, a part of that story, not of the Dow, but of a stock that is higher this morning. Company raising its second quarter outlook, citing strength in travel demand. It expects so-called revenue per available seat mile, the old RevPAR, to be up 23 to 25 percent from 2019's levels. That is from a prior forecast of 17 percent. I was moaning and groaning yesterday, Andrew, to you guys, the commercial breaks about airfares. Yep. But people are paying them. The planes are full. People are paying them. Let's see how long that lasts. 
like right. a lot of money. That's the question. I, I, I get the feeling that is going to stick around for a while. It's pretty pretty sticky, and they probably have a pretty good idea of who's booking out for a while on some of these things, too. And now it, it could change. We heard yesterday from Ryanair's CFO, their big concern is what happens if COVID comes back in a big way during the holidays. Does that kind of bring things down again? But, you know, for now, things look really strong. Intel shareholders have voted against the company's compensation plan for its top executives. That's according to new regulatory filing. The vote is advisory. It won't immediately affect compensation, but it does signal that Intel investors are closely watching the performance of the company's CEO, Pat uh, Gelsinger, and uh, the progress of his turnaround plan. He took over as CEO in February of 2021 and received a pay package of $178 million later that year. That included more than $170 million in stock and option awards. The actual payout of those awards, of course, depends on the stock's performance. He won't receive any of it if the stock trades lower than when he took over. That's binding, right? Or is it not? Which is which? The shareholder vote. It's an it's, it's an advisory. 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 So it doesn't. It's not binding. Mm, all right. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, JetBlue's hostile takeover bid for Spirit Airlines. Whether it'll go through and whether it should, with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. The most important thing is to make sure that the American people are served well by a healthy airline sector. And part of a healthy airline sector is healthy competition. We'll be right back. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod today with Becky Quick, Andrew Ross Sorkin, and Brian Sullivan. Here's Andrew. Just reading the Twitter proxy background material. As like one a, does. As one does. As it's one like does. a drama. It's like a drama. It, it, it really is. It's like a great book. Anyway. They, they, Twitter, starts, by the way, responding to Elon Musk. Starts on page 41 if you really want to read the drama. A drama indeed, and Elon Musk is not the only drama on Wall Street these days. This week, JetBlue launched a hostile takeover bid for Spirit Airlines, heating up the battle between JetBlue and Frontier for discount carrier Spirit. Part of the intrigue? A battle of the boards. The other part? Whether any of it is even worth the trouble, or if regulators will get in the way. Here's Andrew. JetBlue launching a hostile takeover bid for Spirit Airlines. Spirit already doing a merger with Frontier Airlines. But today, JetBlue told Spirit shareholders it was offering $30 per share. Could go to $33. And we're lucky to have the U.S. Transportation Secretary 
uh, with us this morning. I want to uh, ask Secretary Pete Buttigieg about this and so much more that's been taking place in our country. Uh, Secretary Buttigieg, uh, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. I'm curious what your thoughts are about consolidation in the airline industry at this point, given how much consolidation there's already been and uh, whether you think a transaction like this would be approved. Well, I uh, can't weigh in, obviously, on DOJ's process of approval. What I will say is that as they undertake that process, we'll make sure to inform it with uh, all of the, the technical support we can from my department. Look, the, the most important thing is to make sure that the American people are served well by a healthy airline sector. And part of a healthy uh, airline sector, part of any healthy sector in our economy, is healthy competition. That, that needs to be demonstrated, uh, that this wouldn't have a negative effect on competition in order to meet those legal hurdles. We'll see how the process plays out. Mr. Secretary, but explain this in just in terms of how you weigh it at this point. Uh, this administration has talked a lot about uh, competitive concerns actually uh, leading to inflation in this country, right? Like that's, that's one of the issues that you have raised over and over again. So when you look at a transaction, how much is it today about the competition piece versus you said you also want a healthy industry and also the, there's, uh, you know, advocates for transactions like this would say that making the industry healthier would mean making the companies healthier. How, how do you see well, both sides uh, again, of that? it's for the yeah, it's for the DOJ to evaluate the antitrust side. I mean, it is interesting at the time of airline deregulation, I don't think anybody thought uh, that the concentration would uh, build up the way that it has. Uh, where you draw the line is, uh, is where the DOJ comes in. But also, my department has uh, an energized consumer protection uh, team and department. Uh, we've taken a lot of actions recently on things like uh, uh, like refunds and uh, airlines that that didn't come through with the refunds that they were required to offer to customers uh, were were held accountable. So we're going to make sure whatever the the uh, sectoral industry structure is in terms of how many companies you've got, we're going to do everything we can first and foremost, of course, to make sure that uh, air travel in this country is safe. And what do you also think about pricing to exercise right now? all of our consumer protection authorities. I know you've been talking a lot about inflation. One place that there's been a ton of it is in the pricing of, of airfare. That's right. Uh, we, we are seeing that uh, one of many areas where there's a lot of upward uh, pressure on prices, uh, some of it associated, of course, with fuel. But that doesn't appear to be enough to account for everything that we've seen. Look, part of what we've seen happen, and, and, and this is true whether you're talking about airlines or whether you're talking about uh, the freight rail sector, is there was a lot of thinning out of the workforce. Uh, and now that, that's come back around as a uh, labor supply issue. Uh, you, you see a lot of airlines that uh, haven't been able to get the staffing levels up to, uh, meet, uh, to, to meet or match demand. On the freight rail side, this is a real concern because uh, thousands of workers were, were removed from, from the workforce there. And now we're seeing our, our freight operators struggling to keep up, which is one part of the supply chain puzzle right now. Mr. Secretary, earlier today, we had the CFO of Ryan Air on. The company has been pretty unhappy with the lack of deliveries coming from Boeing. In fact, the CEO today was making comments on their conference call saying that Boeing needs a management reboot in Seattle and either the existing management needs to up its game or they need to change the existing management. He said that they think Boeing management is running around like headless chickens, in his words. It's got to be pretty concerning when you realize Boeing is so important to the American economy, and this is basically two players in the game, either Boeing or Airbus. What, what can you tell us about the situation at Boeing right now? 
Well, uh, look, from, from our department's perspective, the most important thing uh, as a regulator is making sure their aircraft are safe and uh, working to ensure that uh, there, there's total confidence in, in the safety of uh, an aircraft flown by any airline or uh, made by any manufacturer that's going to be uh, flown in, in U.S. airspace. And uh, that's uh, you know, been really our focus. Uh, how a company is doing uh, in terms of satisfying their customers uh, once it goes beyond those uh, those safety considerations that we regulate, um, that's a, a private concern, but of course one that we follow very closely given how many jobs are at stake. We want and need for there to be an excellent, thriving, robust U.S. aviation manufacturing sector, whether we're talking about uh, parts and equipment or whether we're talking about aircraft themselves, uh, and uh, certainly something where uh, uh, we are uh, seeking for uh, you know all of our uh, U.S.-based companies to succeed. Secretary Buttigieg, Brian Sullivan, we're talking about electric cars here around the table. In the commercial break, we all admit they're fast, they're fun, they're awesome in many ways, but they don't pay gas tax. States do. There are some state registration fees. They try to figure it out. The roads, I don't know if last time you drove up the New Jersey Turnpike, but bring a ladder with you because if you go into one of the potholes, you might need the ladder to come out. Uh, what are we working on as far as federal taxes on EVs? Because particularly electric cars are heavy. They got a lot of torque. They actually tear up the roads. They need to contribute as well. What can we do and what can we expect around that? Well, look, uh, if you look at the big picture, EVs also have fewer costs uh, socially and, and, and kind of writ large for the country because you have, uh, uh, for example, Medicaid not having to pay the bills for people who uh, get asthma from particulate matter coming out of tailpipes. Uh, there's a big, complicated uh, and intricate picture here. But you're right. Traditionally, we have funded our roads uh, with the gas tax. Uh, that being said, let's be honest. It's been a long time since any given year's gas tax receipts have covered the expense of maintaining our roads. And there are a lot of other ways to fund our infrastructure. Remember, the president laid out at the outset of this infrastructure law, uh, which we're celebrating the six-month mark of today, uh, that not one penny of it would be collected from people making $400,000 a year or less, uh, because he believes that uh, anybody making $400,000 or less is already paying more than enough in federal taxes. So we found other ways to fund that infrastructure. And that's what America is going to have to do going forward as we see an increase in our vehicle mix away from those gas engines. But again, as we saw six months ago uh, th this week when the president on the South Lawn signed a historic, epic infrastructure law into being, which we are now working to, to implement, getting uh, the funding out for new roads, bridges, uh, airports, rail, and more. Matter of fact, today we're announcing another billion dollars going to the Safe Streets and Roads for All program. That's going to help communities that are trying to make their roads and streets safer. Uh, there are many ways to get that funded. Uh, Congress has provided for that on this round, and I have no doubt, however we get there, that that'll happen for the future, too, because we have to. Secretary Buttigieg, we also uh, want to continue that conversation about infrastructure with you. And I want to ask you about this, though. Uh, even though a lot of people agree that uh, that laws that law was badly needed, it still represents a kind of government spending that many have blamed for high inflation. And I want to show the audience some tweets over the weekend, which you probably saw as well, from Jeff Bezos, who weighed in on inflation after President Biden sounded off about it. Here's what uh, the president wrote Friday evening. He said, you want to bring down inflation? Let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share. 
Late that night, Bezos responded the newly created Department of Homeland Security disinformation boards should review this tweet or maybe they need a uh, new, need to form a new non sequitur board. Instead, raising corporate taxes is fine to discuss. Taming inflation is critical to discuss. Mushing them together is just misdirection. Yesterday, in response to one Twitter user who said that the Biden administration doesn't deserve any credit for lowering the nation's deficit, Bezos tweeted, in fact, the administration tried hard to inject even more stimulus into an already overheated inflationary economy, and only Manchin saved them from themselves. Inflation is a regressive tax that most hurts the least affluent. Misdirection doesn't help the country. What, what do you think of that analysis? Uh, look, look the, the president's theory of the case when it comes to economics is probably never going to be wildly popular with billionaires for the simple reason that he is calling on them to pay their fair share. Of course, there's uh, a lot to what goes into fighting inflation. But the point is uh, that with the right kind of public investments, we can go after some of the things that we know are contributing to inflationary pressures, whether it's the infrastructure issues that have put a pinch on our supply chain or the uh, childcare issues that have been a major labor supply constraint because they keep a lot of working parents, particularly a lot of women, out of the workforce. That is why so many Nobel Prize winning economists took a look at the president's fiscal agenda, said this is going to ease, ease, not worsen inflationary pressures. Now, I will concede that the issues we're having in the economy now are the kind of issues you often see when there is a lot of demand, when unemployment is very low. And the president took swift action to make sure that unemployment would be low, creating more jobs, millions of jobs in, in his first year in office than any president ever had in their first year in office. Now we're dealing with the set of issues uh, that you have to stay on top of when you have high demand, uh, a lot of people with, uh, with uh, a lot of income in their pockets, uh, and uh, a tight labor supply because so many people are working. And those are real issues. And those are the issues that we're Mr. working Secretary, right let, now. Let me, the president's on the, on the agenda will help. On the corporate tax front, um, and look, I've talked about how you, you could raise corporate taxes from where they are today. So, so we're, we're not so far off here. But do you not agree that these are two different issues? Meaning if you change corporate taxes, yes, in the immediate term, maybe it will have some impact on inflation. But it's a corporate tax is a long-term issue. You either deal with it because you think it's the right thing to do or it's the wrong thing to do, not because you're trying to deal with inflation right this second. Well, a lot of it is what you're going to do with the revenue. And again, we have an agenda to, to use tax revenue on things that are going to ease inflationary pressures. But also, we have a very clear contrast right now, right? You, you have uh, Senate Republican proposals that are about raising taxes on the poor and the middle class. And you have the president's worldview, which is shared by the majority of Americans, uh, that if anybody needs to be uh, carrying more of the load right now, it is the wealthiest and corporations that have become uh, extremely profitable. By but the way, corporations also that have often, you, well, hold on, this is really important. Corporations that have invoked inflation as an excuse to keep prices high in ways that are not just reflected by the supply picture and are pocketing the difference. We are going to leave the conversation there. It is a much longer debate. Mr. Secretary, we love having you on the broadcast and hope you'll come on back so we can continue it. Thank you. That's the podcast for today. Thanks for listening, as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. You should probably also follow us on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.